Welcome to the first ever episode of Please Don't Say Anything But, where I'll be chatting to people I've met in all different capacities in my life and asking them to expose their truth or anything they consider to be a vulnerability. And I'm going to ask them to talk honestly and openly about it. So this podcast is based on the model of peer support, where talking openly and honestly about something you've maybe hidden or something you've maybe struggled with, the theory that that breeds connectivity with others who can identify with you. We're not looking to find the answer or solve anything. We're simply opening up the conversation and telling our story about our own truth through our own lived experiences. So I've known my first guest for about 20 years and we first met at university doing our drama degrees. I instantly warmed to this beautiful chain-smoking being who was outspoken, confident and didn't take herself too seriously. What I didn't realise at the time is that she would become one of the most important people in my life. She has an incredible story behind her and she's one of the most inspirational people I've ever met. She is also one of the most successful people I've ever met and she has built a career essentially from nothing to now be a senior director of a very well-known progressive technology global giant. She also appears to nail motherhood and has the loveliest daughter who is a delight to be around. She is hilarious, half Italian, often tells me to shut up and pull myself together. She swears a lot and she is big into films and big into fashion. So please welcome Vicky Drummond to our first episode of Please Don't Say Anything But. So Vicky, welcome to uh, the very first episode of Please Don't Say Anything But. You are my first guest, so thank you very much for joining us. I'm pleased to be here, Christina. (laughs) So before we start, and in the spirit of inclusivity, can you please tell us how you choose to identify? Yep, so I choose to identify as a heterosexual white female. Thank you for sharing that. It's important that our listeners know um, who our perspectives and thoughts are coming from. So thank you for that. Um, And before you reveal to us what your truth is and what what you're going to talk to us about today, we'd love to understand a little bit more about you. So Vicky, what's your story? Uh, gosh, where do I start? Um, I'll give you a whistle-stop tour from the day I was born to where we are now. Um, so I grew up um, in a council estate in Cambridge with my mum and my stepdad. My mum remarried when I was two. Um, my stepdad was wonderful and raised me as his own, but he was a lot older than my mum, about 20 years. So he came with five, uh, five children of his own all around the same age as my mum, which brought some complications. But um, so I, I, I lived in, in, that, in that house with my mum and my brother and my stepdad uh, until um, my, my dad sadly passed away when I was 11 years old, uh, my stepdad, which was um, devastating for my mum. And that led to my mum having some psychological issues. But that, you know, I'm sure that's going to come into the discussion later. But um, so I then went to school, um, uh, went to, uh, in my GCSE years, didn't really study, was much more interested in boys and smoking and all those things you do when you're sort of 11 to 15. 
Um, and it, I think it's fair to say, you know, I was not not the nicest person at school, and I certainly didn't study very hard. Um, like I said, just just disinterested really. And then I went on. I mean, what I was interested in when I was at school was performing. So I was, you know, very much uh, an extrovert, very confident, wanted to be the centre of attention. Um, and I loved drama. So I went on to study performing arts at, at um, BTEC and dropped out after a year because, again, got bored, disinterested. And I thought my life would be better if I lived in Magaluf. Um, so I went to Magaluf when I was 16 and tried tried to live there, which which uh, was absolutely dreadful. <laughs> Came back two <laughs> weeks later with my tail between my legs. Um, and then I decided when I was 18 to actually, do you know what, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to try and do something with this life and I went and studied A-levels um, and I did did I, I think quite well considering I did really badly at BTEC and GCSEs I got two B's and a D um, and then I went on to study um, drama at St Mary's University in uh, Twickenham which is where I met you and I was really lucky actually I think we both were to get one of only 20 places I think studying a single honours degree so you know it was very competitive so I was very pleased with myself at that um, did well at that, got 2-1, and then came back to Cambridge uh, to live with my then partner, who I'd been with since I was 17, and went on to marry and, you know, buy a house with and have a wonderful daughter with. Um, and um, sadly, that ended about seven, six or seven years ago now. Um, but since then, uh, we've done really well at co-parenting. Um, mm -hmm. You know, she has mm -hmm. a great life between the two of us, and we have really good friends. And, uh, you know, I own my own home. I've you know I'm doing okay and I'm you know very I feel like this is my sanctuary and I'm you know I've built somewhere that I love to be um I'm I've got a great group of friends and I love to you know I love to do hip workouts and you know all that kind of stuff so and I work for a, a big semiconductor company a big big semiconductor company and um I'm a director there so yeah that's where I am today from the beginning um which was a very very kind of nutshell description but that kind of says it all really um one important thing actually is that my my mother passed away when I was uh 19 years old so that's going to play into a lot of what we discuss I, I think um today excellent brilliant well thanks for sharing that and obviously I've known you through a lot of this and I love the way you just casually slip in that you're a, a, a director now there's there's a huge chunk in between I think leaving university and I've been privileged enough to see you work so so damn hard you're one of the hardest working people I think I've ever ever come across and so yeah I've certainly been inspired and learned a lot by your Thank work you. it's very kind of you to say anyway let's get on with this um so what is it that you want to share with us today okay so Christina uh please don't say anything but um I suffer quite badly with imposter syndrome um, and on that note, if you could just bear with me for a second, I've got a barking puppy behind me. So I'm just going to go and grab her so we can get some, some quiet time. Come on then. So um, obviously a non-professional, um, you know, describing or description of imposter syndrome um, is it's essentially a persistent feeling of inadequacy despite um, evidence to the contrary. So, um, you know, I myself am considered to be successful, quote unquote. Um, I'm a high achiever, high earner. I'm a director of a massive global organisation. Before that, I was director of a, 
a massive publisher. Before that, I was head of digital for a marketing agency. So, you know, that is evidence. That is fact. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but, I, but I'm incapable of acknowledging that I got there through um, intelligence, hard work, um, you know, the, because I deserved it. I am convinced that I've... I've pulled the wool over people's eyes for all these years and one day someone will find out that I I've done that I think the interesting tension there is that it it suggests that I undermine the people that have helped me get there so you know I I have done that and that is my rational brain speaking my rational brain says you made that happen and the people that enabled that so the people who gave me um, you know, who recognised my talent, who re- nurtured my talent, who rewarded my talent with promotion, are not stupid. You know, they 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 did that because they felt that I deserved it and that I could do it. So I'm not undermining that. I just don't quite get it. You know, I I've never, I can't internalise that. I will always think, oh God, what you know, what are they doing? Um, so that's, I mean, you know, in a nutshell, that's that's my interpretation of imposter syndrome. And, you know, I've obviously read up a lot about it. Um, and it's, you know, it's that is a fairly accurate description, I would say. Right. And so you think you, you pull the wall out over people's eyes and you, you've got your job by what? By luck or? I, yeah, I mean, I think it's probably... Um, a, <sighs> It's like I feel like I'm blagging it, so, you know. So I, I, I never leave a, a meeting thinking I nailed that meeting. I leave a meeting thinking I got away with that, and it's horrible, actually, Christina. It really is. It's quite debilitating because um, I'm incapable of of of, of recognising that I am capable. If that makes sense. So mm. um, yeah, that's that's kind of yeah, that's kind of my my take on it I suppose okay so I do understand what what you mean when you say it to me out loud though I want to say to you don't don't be so ridiculous mm. of course you didn't get your job by luck mm. you know mm. or you've pulled pulled the wool over someone's eyes but I can relate to some of the things that you've said there mm. so I can often sit in a, a meeting and just feel like I'm probably the least intelligent person there or just feel um, that how has how's a girl like me got into a room like this? Oh, absolutely. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, for, for me, it's, you know, I know, I, you know I'm, I'm, I'm sure we'll move on to, to why I think this is happening, why I think this has happened to me. But absolutely, you know, it's like, I, and I worked for an academic publisher for eight years and, acad- you know, academic working in that kind of environment you're working amongst people that are highly intellectual and I I, honestly this is probably another truth but I believe I have succeeded quote unquote again um through more through intuition than I have through any kind of academia or intellect or um you know real sort of of hard skills I mean, you know, in many ways, you could say it's a strength and certainly in the area that I work, which is, you know, customer centricity and all that kind of stuff. Intuition is really important. But I always do sit there and think I'm, you know, and I I, and actually, Christina, it's quite interesting because what I often do in my my old manager, um, my previous role used to pull me up on this. She she used to say that 
I was very good at apologizing before I ask a question or say something. So she would say, you know, you, you often say, you know, I know this might sound like a silly question, but, or I'm really sorry, but, um, yeah. and it's like, it's, it's like a safeguarding mechanism because if it, then yeah. if it is stupid, I, you know, stupid question, I have already, I've already kind of established that and highlighted that, um, before mm-hmm. anyone else can kind of say it. And yeah. I think it's another, it's another kind of side, sort of side effect, if you like, of, of yeah. imposter syndrome. Yeah. And it's, it's almost like probably that's a way how you manage it as well. Uh, uh, absolutely. It's definitely a coping strategy for sure. Um, I, you know, if I identify that I'm about to say something that people could interpret to be a dumb question, then, you know, I've beat them to it, you know, yeah. uh, and I've already acknowledged that actually I'm, a, I'm not that bright. Um, and, you know, at, at the same time, evidence to the contrary is that I have been told that it's those types of questions that I ask or those, you know, not not the kind of, um, I don't know, I'm sorry, but, and this might sound like a stupid question, but but the actual questions that I ask are ones that other people don't. And they're actually quite, they're quite good questions because people aren't asking them. They're, sometimes yeah. they're quite simplistic, you know, and, and I often think to myself, sitting in a room full of people that are talking all this stuff and not sometimes not really making any sense to me why is no one just cutting through it and saying but why or but what and I'm that person and I it takes a lot of courage for me to do that because no one else is asking it I think well maybe everyone else gets it and yeah you know so it it really plays into that feeling of inadequacy if no one else is asking that question then then maybe I shouldn't but then at the same time I'm I'm told that actually that's that's one of my strengths so but that hasn't gone away I've been working in a professional environment for more than 20 years now and actually this progressively this has got worse the higher I've got you know um but you know so even despite evidence to the contrary and all the great feedback I get on the things that I think to be flaws um I still don't quite believe it yeah so I guess I'm curious to sort of take a bit of a deeper dive into, into why why is this? Because I think there are probably people listening right now who just think this sounds like a nonsense. This mm. woman has got a really good job. She's obviously been really successful. Like, why is she letting something like this get her down? Yeah. Um, and when I was looking into this uh, be- be- before we um, recorded this podcast, um, I looked at the Harvard Business Review and there was a piece written by an executive coach called Jill Corkindale. And she talks about how some researchers claim that the roots of imposter syndrome can come from labels that our parents give us. Mm. So I'm always really curious about the relationship we have with our parents. And I believe no matter how dysfunctional or absent that relationship might be, that we seek approval from our parents Mm -hmm. it's quite an animalistic trait that we have and so what she talks about though is if you're labeled the quiet one or the sensitive one and so I just wanted to I guess you know all the information that you shared with us in terms of your upbringing and losing your stepdad losing your mum not having your biological dad around Mm. I mean do you think that plays a part in all of this oh I I mean I I could spend years hypothesizing (laughs) about why I think I've got imposter syndrome I know (laughs) however I uh, I do I do believe that that is one of the root causes I don't believe it's the the label I was given necessarily um to your point because I was always given the label of um 
you know, the dramatic one, the, you know, the confident one, the extrovert. And, you know, maybe I was back then. I've been given feedback from family members to say that I was back then, but I'm certainly not, not, I mean, I'm an, you know, I would call myself an introverted extrovert, which is, it would probably take some explaining, but it's a persona yeah. really. But, I'm confused by that. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think, I think part of, I think what you're saying rings true um because i think i lacked the what your parents tend to give you which you don't i don't think and, and i'm generalizing here I, I recognize this isn't true of every family um however you know in many cases many many cases parents tend to give you the the confidence and belief that you can be anything that you are capable that you are special that you're you're loved beyond belief and I lost that quite young I mean I you, yeah. know, you know I lost that certainly my real dad never gave me that my stepdad did but you know 11 is a very young age to lose a parent and then my mum sadly when I was 19 however you know in between the ages of 11 and 19 she wasn't that present you know she was psychologically unstable she was regressing in her behavior you know um trying mm. to live a life of a 20 year old I mean, that's a whole other podcast right there but what I would say is I think I lost that I mean she believed in me she would she would she, till the day she died she believed that she would see my name up in lights in the west end you know she was the only person ever who really believed that and, and that's why I went to study drama because I believed I could do that too I lost that when I lost her I haven't really had someone rooting for me you know, right. patting me on the back, giving me that kind of well done, that recognition. I've had it professionally, but those are the people I'm trying to impress. Those are the people right. that, that aren't that significant in my personal life. You know, so coming home every day, I think you need that kind of encouragement and that recognition that you are special, you are achieving. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I think the answer to your question is yes. Just my interpretation of it is probably slightly different. Okay. One of the other things that I read up upon um, when I was looking into this was that imposter syndrome was first identified in 1978. The year I was born. How ironic. The year you were born. <laughs> there we are. The year you were born. Um, but it was identified 1978, so not, not that long ago, really, um, by psychologists Pauline Rose Clance and Suzanne Imes if I'm pronouncing that right. And they theorised theorized that women were uniquely affected by imposter syndrome, which I think this is quite interesting. One of the things that I wanted to ask is, I mean, do, do you think this is a gender thing? I mean, or, or is this something that everybody suffers and perhaps women talk about it more? Okay, so obviously this is a very, my answer to this is very much an opinion. I have no, no, um, you know, that's fine. To suggest yeah. otherwise. Um, I, 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 what I would say, though, is I think I listen to a lot of podcasts and so many of those podcasts, um, you know, talk about mental health and, and, and part of that is imposter syndrome. And so often they are women that are being interviewed. And as I've looked into this and as I've, you know, kind of um, confided in friends and colleagues about this thing that I feel I have, I, you know, so many people suffer with this and so many of them are women what I would say however is that I have met a couple of men one of them was a very close working colleague in a, in a previous role who also had it I think yeah. 
the difference is that men and this is the problem i think evolution hasn't caught up right women feel that they should still be in the kitchen baking wearing an apron and the men are out there hunting and gathering and we have no place in a professional work environment we were told in the generation that raised us that we could have it all and we are trying to have it all and we feel we're failing in every way you know possible and I think we feel like imposters in so much of our life and I think that is inherently a female thing and the men however have been educated and nurtured to shut their feelings down to close them yeah. down so you know if yeah. they do suffer with this you're very unlikely to hear a man yeah. tell you that and you know again I'm generalizing I'm absolutely saying this from my own perspective the yeah. man I'm talking about in question we had a very close kind of confidant relationship and he was able to kind of um, confide in me However, I've met very few men that have acknowledged or admitted that they suffer with this, but I yeah. don't think it's a uniquely female thing. I just think that if men do suffer, they're not externalising that. Yeah. Because that's, that's just a, not yeah, in their makeup. That's exactly what the research has, has told us as more research went into it, that it, it became less associated with, with one gender. Yeah. But one thing that I find interesting, as I said, I can relate to what you're saying, definitely. But I tend to get it more with men. Mm. And I think I tend to seek approval from men. Mm. And I know how awful that sounds. That sounds mm. like a proper mm. Carrie Bradshaw statement, doesn't it? Um, and I think, like you, I lost um, my dad when I was a teenager. Mm. And I do wonder whether it's the absence of that male voice giving you the security and the praise that we kind of constantly seek for mm. as as human beings and I do tend to get it more with men I mean mm. for, for you is there a certain situation or certain type of person that you tend to get it more with is, is this just a work thing okay so two questions there but the first one I'll address first and it's really interesting what you've just said um, and I think it plays into your previous question about where we think this is rooted yours is the absence of a male figure I think my, mine is the absence of a female figure and I get this much more with women I, I absolutely it's not a competitive thing my, my old manager who was by far the greatest manager I've ever known um, and greatest woman really she was so inspirational but I constantly felt that I would could never live up to to her I could never be her I could never and I, again you know identifying that that's not the right path for me but I, I definitely feel that when I'm talking to you know high achieving women um, in a professional environment not necessarily in a social environment I feel inferior I, I, I don't really feel it with men I, I don't know why. I, I don't really care. Um, this is where, you know, where fem you know, let, let's not talk about feminism. That's a whole other podcast. But you know, I, I, I for me, I, I suffer more with 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 women, and I, and I think it's probably because I'm I'm looking for uh, approval uh, for you know some kind of um, validation that I'm doing a good job. Okay, so interesting. So interesting. It's, it's interesting that our perspectives are so different on that right and well not perspectives but our experience is so different on that mm. so um I guess the kind of final thing that I wanted to talk to you about um is about how you kind of cope with this 
Um, and again, like, as I said at the beginning in, in the introduction, we're not looking for answers on this podcast. That's not the pur- purpose of it. But it would be just really interesting to hear, are there any kind of techniques or rituals that you adapt to help mitigate how this can make you feel? I, I kind of want to say yes, but honestly, I'm not sure. So I've tried lots of things. I went to um, CBT, which is cognitive. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. yeah. So I, because it became quite really quite debilitating. And I decided to do that just before I got this new role where I, you know, I'd got so far at my previous role when I was about to enter a whole new territory going in as a director rather than growing into a director role. And I just I really was worried that I was going to fail and uh, unfortunately that was just before lockdown and I only had three sessions and I can't say that it made much difference and it, I haven't picked it back up since because of lockdown so I did try that um, and I did identify a lot of character attributes that I hadn't even appreciated I had like I'm a catastrophist I'm half empty yeah. glass half empty all of the, I'm always thinking the worst but actually it's my way of my coping mechanism is if I believe the worst is going to happen then I'm never surprised and I'm prepared for it and I think the same can be true of imposter syndrome you know if you go into something nervous uh, believing you're going to fail and actually you you know you don't then you know you've won you know absolutely won that's my 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 way of coping is constantly thinking I'm going to fail at this and if I don't then that's a small win so but on a day-to-day basis what I tend to do and this isn't a coping strategy I'm just going to explain what I do to get to that point I overthink everything and I will Mm -hmm. you know when I leave something and I feel like I'm I'm going to get my P45 any minute now I will talk to anyone who will listen who was witness to what had just happened to try and get some reinforcement that actually I did a fine job and it wasn't as bad as I think it was so you know I I will always leave and I just think oh my god why did I say that why didn't I say that why did I have that look on my face why why didn't I answer this what you know Mm -hmm. and I would just talk to anyone who will listen who was present for some positive reinforcement Um, right but you know going back to what we were talking about earlier about coping strategies you know I, I can't remember exactly what we were talking about but I think uh can you remember exactly what we were talking about with the previous coping strategies we were talking about um so you talked about how you like to kind of start asking by asking a question by apologizing that's or... it yeah Happy asking that the question yeah. may not be any good. Yeah, so I guess I guess you know just to kind of bring that back into the, the conversation now it's pertinent to what you've asked. I guess that's another another coping strategy. You know, I I, I, I listen to podcasts. I listen to I, I, what's really great for me is knowing that I'm not alone. And actually, this is so widespread; it's quite unbelievable. You know, when you yeah. really look into this, and you and you know, so many famous people have this. So many successful quote unquote people have this I'm not alone in this and that's really that's really reassuring and I guess that's that's a bit of a coping strategy too what I'd love to tell your listeners is you know I've got the magic bullet and this is what I do to get me through it but unfortunately I don't I don't have that I just try and get through it day by day and then I try to I try to engage the rational part of my brain which does exist, it's just what happens is my brain is monopolised by the irrational and emotional part of my brain. But the rational part of my brain reminds me that I've got here because I deserve it. And I am am good at what I do, and I ask the right questions. I have to remind myself of that all the time. And, you know, it doesn't mean that instantly I'm fixed. It just means that 
I'm not I'm not going to get my P45 anytime soon just because I didn't say something or I said it in the wrong time, yeah. you know? Yeah. So it's just bringing myself back down to earth a little bit. I would say I think it's got worse as I've got um, higher up in my in, on the career ladder and I can't see that that's really ever going to change. But actually, do you know what, Chrissy? Christina, sorry, um, one thing that I think is really important is to identify is that actually sometimes persistent feelings of inadequacy mean that I work harder. It means that I'm just constantly trying to prove my worth, but also just trying to, to be better. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I'm not complacent. I don't rest on my laurels. Um, I don't wake up every day thinking, got this in the bag. I think I, I've got to do a good job. And actually, that's that's not a bad thing. Yeah. No, I totally respect that. I do respect that. Definitely. Um, and how does it feel to just talk about it like this out loud? Uh, I mean, it's, 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 it's quite cathartic, really. It's quite, it's like a bit of an emotional release because actually, you, you know, you, sometimes when you say things out loud to people, it's sort of brushed off. Um, you know, I also suffer quite a lot with health anxiety and because people know that about me, like they know about imposter syndrome it's like oh you know here she goes again that's the, again that's probably something I'm internalizing but so I don't really talk about it because I don't think anyone really wants to listen and I'm just what I'm probably going to get which is a great thing from friends and family is don't be silly you, you know you've yeah. got you, you know yeah. and but actually sometimes I, ju I just need someone to empathize yeah. you know and so it's actually it's quite quite nice to be able to talk about it out loud um and actually, I surprise myself with some of the things I say, you know, um, because, you know, you, because you don't talk about it out loud much, you don't often feel like you're failing. And that's such an anxiety inducing experience to be going through every day. So it's good. I'm, I'm pleased I've done it. Well, we're really pleased that you've done it as well. And when I say we, I'm talking about me and my thousands and thousands of <laughs> listeners, which I'm sure I've got from this first episode. But I do think perhaps this is more normal than we think. Absolutely. And hopefully by opening up this conversation, we're going to raise awareness and we're going to talk about it more and we're going to support each other more. I hope so. But Vicky, I could talk to you all day, all night about this and all sorts of things. Um, but we have run out of time. But thank you so, so much. Thank you for being my first guest. Um, I think you're a legend. I think everyone that's listened to you today is going to also think you're a legend. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep inspiring others. And um, yeah, thank you once again. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much. So that was the incredible Vicky Drummond. I hope you found that as enjoyable and insightful as I did. Um, one thing that really stood out to me that she said was that she felt that she had nobody really rooting for her and when her mum died she felt that she lost that when she lost her and that's really made me thoughtful about my friendship with her and how I can support Vicky as her friend. But we've started this conversation so let's keep it going. Can you relate to Vicky? Have you experienced imposter syndrome? If so, you can email me at please don't say anything but at gmail.com or you can find me on Instagram under please don't say anything but. Please do share any resources that have helped you. And together we can continue this conversation and help turn the volume down on that imposter voice.